Have you noticed that, uh, that politicians struggle to enact the things they run on? That regardless of who wins elections, lawmakers find they cannot pass whatever legislation they like. They find themselves bound by what is popular or at least their sense of it. They can only act within a narrow set of ideas, and that range is called the Overton Window. And on the Overton Window podcast, we look at issues around the country and talk to the people who change what is politically possible. Now, it's said that you ought to never pick a fight with people who buy ink by the barrel. That is, there are people who can get their views to a lot more people than you can, and odds are that their version of the story will be the only one people hear. Now, Ingrid Jocks is one of those people. She is a columnist at, U- at USA Today and was previously a columnist and editorialist at the Detroit News, and as such, she can tell a lot more people than I can what to think and thus uh, has the potential to change the climate of popular opinion more than others. Ingrid, welcome. Thanks for having me, James. What do you think you're trying to pull around here? <laughs> Starting with a hardball. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not trying to pull anything. I try, I've try. i tried to build my career about being a straight shooter and um, laying the facts out to the best of my ability. So um, I'm sure... Uh, the quote fans of my work who might not agree with me would say otherwise, but I, I strongly believe in trying to be as fair and balanced as possible, even in an opinion role. Mm-hmm. So what does that mean to you to be straight laced? Um, well, the, I'm not sure. Yeah. I guess straight laced is a, is a good way to, to say that. Um, I just say, I mean, keywords in journalism, you know, I'm sure you've heard them a lot as well, you know, try to be, try to be fair, try to present all sides of the story. Um, I mean, clearly being on the opinion side, being a columnist, my job is to have an opinion and to present a point of view on the news. And, um, you know, so a lot of, I think a lot of readers understand that, but I also get a lot of feedback saying, well, you weren't, you know, fair to give a, a, an equal, equal time to the other point of view or, you know, whatever the case may be. But no, that's, that's not my job. But I, I do try to present the facts in as clear a way as possible. And my goal is always, um, you know, I'd like to reach people that may not agree with me. But I, my hope is that they take the time to read my column or editorial and, you know, maybe come away with thinking about an issue from a different perspective. Because uh, I think, as you said, I have a platform, but it is it is so difficult to to really change anyone's point of view, if not impossible. But if you can at least get someone on a very opposite side to hear you out and to possibly think about a controversial issue um, with a little bit more perspective, I consider that a win. Mm-hmm. Well, that's also, I mean, you say that it's rare to change someone's mind, but it's also seems to be far rarer than it should be that someone's even trying to change your mind. Like persuasion just does not seem to be in vogue right now. And I, I feel like, like I, I can be persuaded to do a lot of things and yet so few people seem to be trying to convince me of, of something. Uh, so how is how does that work? Like, how do you uh, approach persuasion in your column writing? Well, I mean, it's I, I've been doing this about twelve years now on the opinion side, and I'm still learning. Um, 
because it, it is not easy to change anyone's mind or to even get them to listen to you. <laughs> I, I know this from um, the colorful mail I receive from readers, but um, I agree that we're increasingly becoming a society that I think only gravitates to views that we already agree with. And social media and cable news networks have made that very possible where you can tune in and get your, uh, you know, the biases, the opinions you already have confirmed by people who agree with you. Um, that's why it's been important to me in my career to work for more, quote, mainstream newspapers, whether the Detroit News, now USA Today, where, you know, hopefully I can reach an audience that, sure, some, some folks will agree with me, but a lot don't. And they're surprised to see a more conservative libertarian point of view in a, in a mainstream newspaper. So I like that platform, even though I know that I'm going to get a lot of pushback and mm -hmm. a lot of hate, but I'd rather be in a place where people aren't just coming to me because they know they'll already, already agree with my views, but, you know, rather maybe think about something different, differently. Mm -hmm. Okay, so let's talk about kind of the, the job of a columnist. So you're not an activist whose job it is to get policy enacted. You're not a politico whose job it is to get people to vote a certain way. What exactly do you do? <laughs> this is a kind of a soul-searching conversation here. <laughs> um, I mean, true, I, I'm not an elected official. Um, I'm not paid to help folks get elected, but... Uh, I, I think part of my job is certainly to help, you know, especially when I was on the editorial board of the Detroit News. You know, we worked, a lot of our work was to help shape actions in the state legislature or Detroit City Council um, by advocating for a certain point of view. You know, we weren't activists for either party, but uh, our job is to advocate for policies and ideas that we think will help the state, help the country. So, you know, in a way we are, we are advocates, but in a nonpartisan sort of way, you know, our, our chief alliance is to the ideas and the principles that we believe in. And, you know, I still feel that as a, as a national columnist. Mm -hmm. Well, how does that work out then? Is it, is it just you're trying to develop your opinions in isolation? Is there a conversation with, with you and your colleagues? Like, how do you figure out what you're going to write about? Well, uh, from an editorial perspective, uh, as a longtime editorial board member at the Detroit News, yes, our, our board uh, would discuss frequently what was mm -hmm. going on in the state, the, you know, we would put a lot of thought into where we felt we could have the most impact. Um, you know, clearly as a statewide newspaper, the Detroit News, we know our influence is going to be, uh, you know, more <clears throat> more influential within the Metro Detroit market, within the Michigan legislature, and you know, we'd often hear feedback that, you know, from legislative folks that may have agreed with our point of view, they were making sure that uh, their colleagues in the legislature were taking a look at our editorial. And so, you know, you, you get, we got to feel that we were having some influence in those conversations um, among policymakers. So and I know they didn't always listen to us when we wish they would have, but um, 
yeah, I think that's <clears throat> an avenue for uh, to help shape the conversation. And as a as a columnist, uh, I'm still pretty new into my USA Today job, and it's it's a very different role writing to a national audience versus a more regional one. Um, so I, I've been focusing a lot on some of these cultural debates that are that are going on around the country, and you know I just I'm a strong advocate to try to have just more civil discussions. Uh, I just feel like the country is becoming increasingly polarized and unwilling to hear the other point of view. And I, I think that's damaging to our system of government. How do you know if you're doing your job well? It's a good question. <laughs> um, I feel like I've done a good, fair job on an editorial or column when I get um, readers writing who, you know, from both sides who may have some disagreement with me. You know, if I'm, if I'm, um, I, I like to make people, to make people think, and I don't want to just be, uh, you know, jumping on the bandwagon of the day, uh, whatever the popular opinion is, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm really trying uh, to make people on the right and left think about, you know, where we are in this moment. But uh, it, it, it is hard to judge <laughs> if, if you've really scored well with, with the column. I guess in our, in our business, I mean, it's all about who's actually reading and if you are attracting readers to your column. So just from a, a real nuts and bolts uh, standard, the more readers, that's more success for a column. So mm -hmm. even though it's very hard, very hard for me, if I put a lot of time into a piece, I really love it. And then it doesn't do so well on, on the, the reader meter, mm -hmm. so to speak. But Wait, all those factors go into whether a piece was a success. Do you, do you get a reader meter for all of your pieces of um, and what's that look like? <laughs> we do. I mean, we chart everything pretty closely. So I can see how every column that I've written um, does, at least online. I mean, we, I, I don't know how many people pick up the, the paper like I still like to do. But mm -hmm. um, yes, I can track how many people have clicked on my article, how long they spend on it. Uh, whether they came to it from our site directly or whether from social media. So it, it's pretty interesting to, to really get a feel for, you know, who our audience, who our audience is, how they're getting to us. Mm -hmm. uh, have you learned anything about what resonates with your readers? Yes. I mean, I'm, I'm always trying to, to learn. So, um, you know, I don't want to just write the popular thing, but it is, I think, important to know what the country is caring about, what people are most interested in. And um, I just know from the feedback I've gotten, the, the times when people are most complimentary of a column or, mm -hmm. you know, they, they've read something that impacts them are, are pieces that, you know, deal more broadly with just how we're interacting, interacting with each other as a country. Just um, something I've hit on a lot over the years is just this growing incivility and just real contempt we have for each other. And I think a lot of people feel that and they respond strongly to um, those sentiments. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I really like uh, like like your point is that like we really should be treating our um, fellow citizens as people to be persuaded rather than obstacles to be overcome, mm -hmm. and um, you know just trying to write something that you think is like look this is a good case I I I think like this is something you should know about if you care about this issue right. I think that really helps uh, or that can really help people but resonating with other people I mean um, it's really tough to t find out how much of the thing really has an intense impact upon readers because mm. you hear about people who are angry and who want to yell at you. Uh, sometimes you get some fan mail, but <laughs> I mean, it, it, it's really tough just to know, like I tried to write this to persuade people to give some, you know, some information, to give something for someone to chew on for, sure. uh, for a little bit. Yeah. Um, so, so how do you approach like, like the intensity of, uh, of, of demand for your column? Um, hmm. the intensity of demand. Sometimes I don't know until I write it. No, I've been in the business a long time. So I, I feel like I have fairly well honed news judgment, you know, for what, um, you know, what is, what may attract reader attention. What's, um, maybe something that I've learned about that, uh, hasn't gotten that much, attention to it yet. I mean, even as an opinion columnist, I'm still in the news business, right? Like I, I like not, we can break news. That's really fun. Uh, I have done that a fair amount in my career. Um, so yeah, anytime we can bring real news to our opinion writing, I think that's, that's always going to have interest and relevance. And just as an example, uh, <clears throat> a few weeks ago, I broke a pretty big story um, that I was proud of because <laughs> um, pretty much every major outlet in the country was was covering my story. But um, I spoke with Betsy DeVos, former education secretary, um, ahead of the release of her new book um, mm. on her time in the Trump administration. And she told me, uh, you know, something that had not been in the news yet, that she and other cabinet members, including uh, former Vice President Mike Pence, had had considered um, invoking the 25th Amendment uh, after January 6th. And um, so that that was... A, I'm sorry, what's that? What is January 6th? Well, no, 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 the 25th Amendment. Uh, like, what, what were they talking about then? Okay, they they were talking about um, you know if enough of the cabinet would vote to remove the president um, mm. if he was showing <clears throat> incapacity to do his job, um, you know they could have taken that vote. But DeVos told me that you know Pence, even though he had very good reason <laughs> to want to to take action uh, after you know, what, what Trump had said about him on January 6th and encouraging him to do very unconstitutional things. Um, he did not want to go down that route, but it had not been public before mm. um, my story that those discussions were had by very top people in the administration. So um, so that was exciting for me to get to break. And it got a lot of a lot of reader interest because it was new. Uh, and even though I was coming at it from with a point of view, it was, um, it was still breaking news and that that's mm -hmm. what we journalists like to do. Mm -hmm. What have been your favorite columns or editorials? 
There are definitely some that have stood out um, over the years. <clears throat> I'd say ones, you know, where um, I feel like I have been able to draw attention to issues or things that have gone on that other reporters, other journalists weren't covering. Um, those have been some of the most rewarding. <clears throat> For example, um, a few years ago, time goes by so fast. Uh, I think it was 2019. The Michigan State Board of Education, which, as you know, is very democratically controlled. It's not friendly to school choice. Um, they sort of randomly, out of the blue, uh, voted to to stop the distribution of nearly 50 million in federal grant money to um, to either new charter schools or charter schools that were like top charter schools that were looking to expand their work. And um, that had not been in the press until I wrote about it. And uh, pretty quickly thereafter, <laughs> they changed course and did decide to release the, the, the money because it was, it was outrageous. I mean, this was federal grant money that the, the Michigan uh, Education Department had sought, had won in a competitive process. But just because these Democrats on the state board you know, are, are so friendly with um, the, the pro-traditional public schools teachers unions, they, they voted uh, against what was ultimately going to help kids around the state. So uh, I took a lot of satisfaction in calling them out for that and hopefully <laughs> no, hopefully having some influence in them changing course. You know, once it was brought to people's attention, it was just hard to justify what they were doing. Um, another example, over the last few years, uh, uh, much like it was a priority for the Mackinac Center to draw attention to, you know, the, the growth of government's power in controlling our daily lives. Um, it was something I wrote about a lot as well. And, uh, this was just a year ago, it feels like longer, but just a year ago about this time, a little earlier in the year, I mean, the state of Michigan was was looking, it was one of two or three states in the country that were looking to expand, quote, temporary emergency powers um, within the workplace and making them permanent. They were actively crafting these rules through the end of May last year. And I think a lot of people didn't, realize that, that it could have been a very real possibility that these COVID restrictions, wearing masks, distancing, other really strict protocols, even bans against uh, going back to the office, these could have been permanent extensions here in Michigan. And these were decisions being made by unelected bureaucrats. And so I've put a lot of attention to that issue and Governor Whitmer rolled back that process. Um, so I know I wasn't the only voice against it, mm -hmm. but I think one of the few in the in the statewide media that, that were calling attention to what I thought was a real abuse of government power. So that was another fun one for me. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean that again. Like uh, uh, politicians are very sensitive to what people think. <laughs> sure. And um, I think more than anything, just that that change in the climate of popular opinion on that particular issue of our sense, our willingness to defer to the executive about you know the rules that are supposed to safeguard us from COVID. Mm-hmm. I think that changed a lot, and it changed a lot for many reasons. But I also think that you know people writing about it in newspapers can't uh, uh, writing skepticism about it in newspapers has got to be a big part of that too. Well, I'd like to think so, and um, you know, just bringing some of these issues that could have real implications on people's daily lives and letting them know that this is going on behind the scenes. I heard from even I heard from folks across the political spectrum who are just like. You know, we had been supporting the governor and a lot of these things, but this is taking it too far. You know, thanks for bringing it to our attention. So, um, there, you know, those <laughs> debates are still ongoing, uh, especially at the national level with our president who ke- keeps declaring a national emergency and, you know, trying to, you know, just until very recently was trying to keep mask mandates on all public transportation. And, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if um, some of those rules, he tries to reinstate some of those rules as we get closer to the fall. I mean, these are things that the country needs to be aware of. And, um, Mm -hmm. you know, when our personal freedoms are at stake, I mean, these are are, are fundamental things that we should talk about and think about. Mm -hmm. How much time do you spend just looking for inspiration on what to write about? <laughs> inspiration is like 99% of the challenge in the job. If you can come up with a, a good idea, that is really the, the hardest part. So uh, I, I know for me, I, I keep a literal running list of ideas because <laughs> I've learned um I, I need to immediately write down a, a good idea if I have one, because even if I think I'll remember it, that often they often prove quite elusive and <laughs> and it's it's frustrating to lose any idea. So I, I have oh, several. By the way, the, yeah. uh, the, the most frustrating thing about that is that you, you lost the idea, but you didn't lose the memory of having an idea. <laughs> just can't figure out what it's about. It's like, no, I had a brilliant thing and exactly. I just can't remember what it was. Yeah. Exactly. That, that is the most punishing part of that. So I've spent a, a lot of time just trying to think back what my idea was. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to, I, I get ideas from everywhere. I mean, obviously I'm reading the news. Um, readers will, will send me ideas sometimes. Um, you know, as journalists, a big part of what we do is, build up relationships with our sources. You know, mm-hmm. um, I consider you one of those people, James, you know, I, I've called on you a lot over the years. And um, so a lot of times I'll, I'll call up people like you to see what's going on, get your take on on something. And, and so a lot of ideas just come from from that who you know, who you're talking to. Um, so those relationships are really important in, in our line of work, you know, we, we kind of re- rely on those we know to inform us, inform us of things going on and things that other people should be aware of. Um, so part of the challenge is just always, especially on the opinion side, is trying to come up with fresh ideas. You know, you don't want to be just one more opinion piling on an issue everyone else is doing. Um, and sometimes it's hard to avoid that when you're writing about a very prominent 
uh, issue. But you know, I'm, I'm always trying to look for that unique angle or side of the story that hasn't been told yet. Mm-hmm. Now, they say that no one reads uh, who writes news articles because it's the news that's important and not the reporter. Um, but that's got to be different for a columnist where you're here to provide a voice. People are ostensibly reading what you're writing because they want to hear what you have to say. Um, but it makes the newspaper itself like seem like it has a tone and a view regardless of whether the news coverage in the newspaper has a slant. So do reporters and columnists get along? <laughs> I have to be careful how I answer this. Um I mean, I think within the news business, there's um, an understanding at most newspapers about, you know, these different parts of the paper where, uh, you know, reporters have their wall, uh, we on the opinion side have ours. I'd say um, (laughs) being in mainstream newspapers uh, as a conservative, you are usually a little bit more in the minority as far as. Uh, your point of view. So that certainly leads to some interesting interactions among, among the staff. But um, I I think as more and more of our readers are coming to us online, I think there has been a little more confusion about what's opinion, what's news writing, because a lot of, a lot of websites are putting opinion out, out front and it's usually, you know, it's it's very important to label that carefully, whether when something's a column uh, or an editorial. But when readers are finding these pieces kind of all mixed together, there there can be a lot of confusion, um, you know, about. I think that's what leads to some of the email I get, like, why? Or I can't believe how slanted your article was, and you know, <laughs> what kind of reporter are you? I'm like, well. I'm- you know, I'm an opinion writer. <laughs> I'm supposed <laughs> to have an opinion. But, you know, it's different when you're flipping through a newspaper and you come to the opinion section. It's very clear what's the editorial, what's the staff column. It's a little less clear online. So, you know, that's something across the news business that, you know, we're very cogniz- cognizant of and, mm-hmm. um, you know, trying to make sure we're not misleading our readers in any way. Because, you know, you don't you don't want um, your audience to think that, especially with the straight news reporting, you don't you don't want to give an indication that there is um, a slant to it. I think people are humans, reporters are humans, so there, there's always going to be, <laughs> it, it's hard to remove all point of view from any piece, but I think most reporters try very hard to keep themselves out of it and to be fair, but with my job, I, I don't you know I, I have a lot more leeway to to say what I think which is which is a real you know I, I think it's a real gift to be able to have that platform so um, I wanted to say an added benefit of opinion writing that I think is is underappreciated I do some historical research every once in a while like what did people look and think and say about an issue um, in the past and just kind of track it over time and it's very like Almost all of the traces that an issue leaves behind are in editorials, hmm. are in uh, columns where uh, where people care about what each other, what we think. It's only make it only makes the news when there's 
legislative action, when when a bill gets passed, or something like like that that makes the news. And so, like, just trying to go through and 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 see what people actually thought. Where has this issue been? How have we been talking about something? Is something that's only available in in, in editorials and in columns? I think that's an interesting point. I know, um, you know, just a lot of our readers over the years, I mean, I'll often get <laughs> sent an editorial from 20 years ago that someone's held on to that they're like, well, don't you remember when the Detroit News had, had this opinion? Or, mm-hmm. <laughs> or I, I just in my personal experience, I find it really meaningful when, when someone will write to me even, you know, months after I've written a column and, you know, they'll tell me that it was meaningful to them in some way. I mean, that's, um, that's really nice to hear because sometimes when you're in our business, you sort of feel like you're sending your work out into the void and it just (laughs) gets kind of lost out there or, you know, someone's going to use your column to line their birdcage. But, um, you know, when you, when you hear that something you've written has had some impact or meaning, Mm-hmm. To, to someone that, that kind of makes it all worthwhile. No, I've been working in the public policy uh, uh, arena since 2002. And throughout my entire career, I think uh, people who work in newspapers have complained about how the internet has ruined newspapers. <laughs> um, from your perspective, how have things changed? <laughs> There's always going to be some new thing that uh, wreaks havoc on an industry. But um, I mean, I think it's a blessing and a curse, right? I mean, the the internet has totally upended the old profitable um, advertising newspaper model. Uh, it used to be an extremely lucrative business and that changed very quickly when things moved online. Uh, but you know, even though it's taken several decades for <laughs> most newspapers to, to try to figure this out, I think some... Some are. I mean, I know the Wall Street Journal is making money on their uh, online subscriptions. Um, You've probably noticed that even more regional papers now, like the Detroit News and Free Press, are you know moving much more to a a subscription model. We are as well at USA Today because you know we're realizing we can't just give away (laughs) all the work that we do every day for free and expect that to be sustainable model advertising alone is just it's not cutting it so we're trying to build um you know loyal audience of readers to our brand uh and that's hard it's a very competitive market wherever you go um readers have a lot of options a lot of different places to get their their news so um you know we're still trying to figure it out but i think i think people still want to know what's going on they still recognize what's quality journalism, even if they have opinions about how we do it. And, uh, you know, I just hope more, especially local papers around the country can figure this out before more go under, because I think that's, uh, it's sad to see so many papers that no longer exist, but it's also damaging to these communities not to have a voice that's focused on them and covering the issues that people in these communities need to know about. How does it feel uh, that, uh, how does it make you feel that um, uh, people pay good money to hear your opinion? (laughs) Well, I wish more would. (laughs) 
<laughs> that would be helpful. <laughs> but, um, and we're constantly running good deals uh, for for USA Today and the Detroit News. So I would just encourage people who who care about good journalism to to get a subscription and it really makes a difference it helps us and um but that you know when you've given away something for free for so many years uh it's not an easy transition to convince your readers that they should pay i mean i've heard from countless people who are like well i used to read your column but not anymore bye and that's discouraging but i understand it no change like that is hard and um you know, I, I just hope that people realize the the news that may they may enjoy and like it's not going to be able to continue if we don't get that support from our audience. Ingrid, thank you for uh, talking with us about uh, some ways to shift the Overton window. Thanks for having me, James. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Overton Window, a podcast from the Mackinac Center. Please subscribe and rate. For more, check us out at www.mackinaw.org. That's Mackinaw with a C, like the island.